Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, ladies. If you would take your Bibles, go to Jeremiah chapter number 1. Jeremiah chapter number 1. We'll start out there this morning. I want to warn you in advance, I hope you have good plans for dinner after church today. Because one of my goals in this message is to make you hungry. And food is one of my favorite topics, I will say. So, it was obviously never a threat to me when my parents would say something like, if you don't behave, you're going to miss supper. That wasn't happening. Yes, sir, father, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I ain't missing no meal. And some of you feel the same way about that. Food is an essential thing for us, isn't it? And it's fun to talk about food. We have to have it. And this morning, as we look through a few various uh, scriptures in the book of Jeremiah, I hope to, through the opening of the Word of God and through the power of the Spirit of God, be able to whet your appetite for food. Though, honestly, it might not be the food you would initially expect. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to show you three things about Jeremiah today. First of all, his preparation. Secondly, his protection. And third, his perseverance. And the first one comes here in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 down through verse 10. We see the preparation that God gives to him. First off, his calling and his ordination to the ministry. Verse 4 and verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Here's Jeremiah, and according to just these two verses, he says that I was, he was known by God, he was called by God, he was ordained by God to be a prophet to the nations before he was even formed in the belly, before he was born. It was always God's life's purpose for him to be a prophet. And I think we see a glimpse of, of the sovereignty and the, the power of God on display in this, that God designs life, yes, He does, but He also designs the purpose of our life as well. You realize that you were made exactly for what God has specifically for you to do? The personality and the talents and the abilities that you were given were made for a purpose, for what God wants to accomplish for His will in your life. We see that here in Jeremiah. His call and his ordination is before you were even formed in the belly, I had a plan for you. But notice what Jeremiah responds with. Look at his excuse in verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I don't think Jeremiah was actually a kid at this point. But I think is what he's saying is I, I feel inexperienced. I feel like a child. I feel like I'm not up to the task. I feel like I couldn't do what you want me to do, Lord. And before you're too hard on him, think about it. Isn't that often our response as well? You know, when we're given something by God to do, our first response is usually not, well, let me at it. I want it. Our first response is usually what? Get me out of it. Right? How can, I, how can I wiggle my way out of what God wants me to do? But God here, in the next few verses, 7 through 10, he promises to overcome Jeremiah's weakness with his own promise of faithfulness. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. 
For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Notice Jeremiah's commissioning by God. He says, I can't do it. I'm just a child. I'm inexperienced. I've got nothing much to offer. And God says, no, don't say that. I will send you where I want to send you. And don't say, Jeremiah, that you can't speak because I will put my words in your mouth. You will speak what I command you to speak. And it says here, God touches Jeremiah's mouth and he says, my word I put in your mouth. Now that's very important. Keep that in the back of your mind, this verse 9 where he says, behold, I've put my words in thy mouth. We're going to come back to that later. It's going to be very important for us. So here in verses 4 through 10, we see Jeremiah's preparation. Ordained by God, called by God, given the words of God to speak. Then jump ahead to verse 17 in chapter 1. We see secondly here Jeremiah's protection. Thou therefore, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, says the Lord, to deliver thee. Now you look at those three verses and we have to say, Oh, Jeremiah, you better get ready. It looks like things are going to be tough. And they were. For 40 years during the reigns of the last five kings of Judah, right before Babylon comes in and takes over, they, they lay siege to Jerusalem and to, to the southern kingdom of Judah, and they take captive many people. Those five kings, those 40 years right before that time is when Jeremiah is the prophet of the Lord. And he has to, to give to the people of Judah a message of impending judgment. Why? Because of their idolatrous ways. Because of mass sinfulness on their part. That's a hard thing to do. To say judgment is coming and you've brought it upon yourself. Jeremiah is about to embark on a journey that would be very, very perilous. Very hazardous for him. It would not be easy. He would definitely need the protection that God gives to him here. Because think about it. Here's Jeremiah. He's God's prophet, God's messenger for this time. And though the people cannot reach God with their anger, right? You can't, you can't fight at God. You can't get at God. Who can they get at? Jeremiah. They can reach Jeremiah with their anger. And you read verse 18 where it says here, I will make you a defense city and an iron pillar, and brazen walls. He says, you're going to be like these things. You're going to be this strong, Jeremiah. And if God is telling him, you need to be this strong, there must be a pretty good reason. It's going to be tough, Jeremiah. He was going to be up against a very, very tough crowd. Look at verse 8. Earlier, he said, be not afraid of their faces. 
Verse 17, he says the same thing again. Be not dismayed at their faces. My first thought is, what do these people look like? But what is he saying? He's saying, get ready. They're not going to be happy with what you're saying. And you better be strong. You better be ready. The Lord's protection for Jeremiah in verse 19 is this, his constant presence. He says in verse 19, Jeremiah, no matter how much they fight you, how much they want to, to fight against you, they will not prevail. And no matter where you go, Jeremiah, I will be with you. That's his promise. The presence of Almighty God. And when you need that, and when you have to be a defensed city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against your enemy, buckle up, Jeremiah. It's going to be a wild ride. Tough times are coming. You better be ready if God has to make you those things. And Jeremiah finds out very quickly, so a phrase that we often use, right? Don't shoot the messenger. Oh, they wanted to shoot the messenger. He found that out very, very quickly. The people hated Jeremiah. Why? Because they hated the God who sent him. That's the reason. They hated Jeremiah. They wanted nothing to do with what he was going to say because he was the messenger of God. Now, that doesn't sound too dissimilar from what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. Remember that? He said, if they've hated me, they will also hate you. They didn't accept what I wanted to teach them. Guess what? He's saying this to the disciples as they go out. They're not going to want what you say either. So what is happening here to Jeremiah isn't too much different from what we sometimes will face in our life as well. They will not love you because they do not love the God who sent you. Now, Jeremiah finds out very quickly that times are going to be tough. In chapter 11, there's a plot against Jeremiah's life. Now, the plot is, is foiled, but still, when you find out that people are plotting to kill you, you know something's wrong somewhere. Something's off. Why do people want to kill me? In chapter 32, Jeremiah is imprisoned by King Zedekiah. In chapter 37, Jeremiah is imprisoned again by some of the princes of Judah. In Jeremiah 38, those same princes request Jeremiah's death. If you would, flip quickly to chapter 38, verse 6. I want you to see this. Jeremiah 38, 6. These princes have imprisoned Jeremiah. They go now and they request for his death. And in verse 6, he goes from the prison to the dungeon. Look at this with me, Jeremiah 38, verse 6. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. From the prison to the dungeon where there's no water, there's only muck. And he sinks down into the muck. Can you imagine that being maybe the worst, lowest point of Jeremiah's life? Stuck in a dungeon by himself, sinking down into mud. Feeling totally abandoned, 
feeling totally left to himself, while those up in the, in the dry ground are plotting to take you out. Now, some of the things I just mentioned, chapter 11, 32, 37, all of that, those are just some of the events in Jeremiah's life. And that doesn't really even accurately represent all of the times that, that Jeremiah in his lamentation uh, towards God says, the people have abandoned me. I am a reproach to the people. They ridicule me. They mock me all the time. It wasn't just you know, key events that Jeremiah just had to get through. It was constant on his life. He had to endure a whole lot. Go in your Bibles back a few chapters to Jeremiah 20, and we'll be here for a little bit. In Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah is in a particularly rough time. I want to read verses 1 and 2. Jeremiah chapter 20. Now Pasher, the son of Immer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Pasher, who here is called the chief governor in the house of the Lord. That's an indication something's wrong somewhere in the land of Judah. Because when the chief governor of the house of the Lord is smiting and putting into stocks the prophet of the Lord, something's gone wrong somewhere. He puts Jeremiah to public shame here in the stocks, smites him and puts him in the stocks. And at this point, I think Jeremiah has had enough. Look at verse 7, down through the first part of verse 9. Jeremiah says, I've had it. I want to quit. That's it for me. Verse 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah says, I'm done. I've had it. I'm through. Every time I speak the word of the Lord, nobody cares. Everybody just wants to deride me. I'm done. It's over. Look at verse 7. He even calls God deceptive. Did you see that? Did it, did it throw a little red flag like, wait, what does he mean there? God has deceived him. Well, did God deceive Jeremiah? No, God doesn't deceive anyone, does he? Jeremiah is speaking from his own perspective. It seemed as though he had been deceived by God. Why? I think because Jeremiah thought things would go better than they had. Remember chapter 1? I'm called by God before I was even born. He's put his word in my mouth. Things are going to go well. I'm God's spokesman. And then he goes through all that he goes through here, and he realizes it seems like I got deceived. What is this that God has called me to? In verse 8, he says, I, I want to quit. Because every time I speak the Lord, every time I speak the word of the Lord, the people don't care. I'm derided. I am reproached every day. Every time I make mention of the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah here has made up his mind. In verse 9, he says, I'm done. It's over. 
God, find somebody else. It's not going to be me anymore. I will not make mention of your name. I will not speak anymore in the name of the Lord. The preaching of the word had cost Jeremiah dearly, hadn't it? We saw that just in a few examples through the book of Jeremiah. It had cost him dearly, and Jeremiah says, I'm done paying the price. I'm done paying the price. It's too much for me. But here comes the power of God's word and the perseverance of Jeremiah. Look at the rest of verse 9. You got to remember what, what Jeremiah is going through here. In verse 9, he says, I will not make mention of him. I will speak no more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah says at this point, he was ready to quit. But what does he say? I can't quit. I can't quit. Why? Because he says the word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. He says I was weary of holding it back. And I couldn't hold it back anymore. It had to come out. Can you stop a raging fire? Can you keep it contained in, in, in a closet? Can you keep it contained? He says no. It was in my heart and it had to come forward. He wanted to quit because of all the negative reaction that, that he had gotten from the Word. Every time he spoke the Word, it was a negative reaction. But he couldn't quit because of the Word that was in him. Do you see that? The reason he wanted to quit was the very reason he couldn't quit. The Word of the Lord. And at this point in life, one of the darkest moments of Jeremiah's life, and there were many of them, he realizes, I have nothing to lean on except the word of the Lord within me. I have nothing to lean on except the word of the Lord. On my own, I want to quit. I don't want to do it anymore, but the word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I tried to hold it back, and I could not. I cannot quit. That's a unique phrase there, the one that says it, the, the word was shut up in his bones. We understand that a little bit, right? When we say something like, well, I hurt so badly, I feel it in my bones. And that's literally what it means. He had felt the penetration of the word of the Lord in his life all the way to the bones. To feel something in our bones is to feel it very, very intensely. And I ask us today, do you feel the word of the Lord in your life that intensely? It's something that's just in my bones. Is it something that's been assimilated into our lives so well that it has gotten all the way into our bones? Or is it just something that's kind of barely out there, maybe scratching the surface, kind of playing it safe, arm's length type approach to the Word of God? So how does Jeremiah get to this point? How does Jeremiah get to where the Word was a raging fire within him? There's two things here. One... Think back to Jeremiah 1.9. How did Jeremiah get the word of the Lord? It says that God touched his mouth and he said, I have given you the word of the Lord. I have put my words into your mouth. So that is true. There was a divine placement of the word of God into Jeremiah's heart. But there's another side of the story too. There's another part here. 
Flip just a page or two back to Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15, we're going to read verses 15 and 16. Now, this part again, these two verses come in the middle of a huge lament that Jeremiah is giving. God, why? I'm facing struggle again. I'm facing hardship. Things aren't going well. And yet he says these two verses in response to what God has said. Look at verse 15, chapter 15. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Now watch verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. He says, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And they were what to him? He says, they were the joy and the rejoicing of Jeremiah's heart. The word of the Lord was something that thrilled Jeremiah. He found satisfaction in the words of the Lord. They were the joy and rejoicing of his heart. And I think, man, how can, that, how can it be that way for me too? That with the word of the Lord, I, I find the joy and the satisfaction and the, the rejoicing that I should have. You know what the answer to that is? How can it be that way for us? The answer is what Jeremiah did with the word. Did you see it in verse 16? Their words were found, and I did eat them. Now, don't stick your Bibles in your mouth right now. That's not exactly what it means. You used to think that when we were kids, right? You see something like, oh, what am I supposed to do with it? No, figuratively speaking, think of it. To eat the words of the Lord means that we are to internalize them as we would food. And we allow the meaning and the power of those words to become a reality in our lives. That's what Jeremiah means here when he says, I ate the word. And I say to you, eat the word. Dinner is served. Eat up. Eat up. I hope you're hungry. Let's talk about food for a second. Let's talk about food. Food is very important to it. What, is, what, is it, what does it mean for us to eat? Scientifically, right, we take something from outside of our body and we assimilate it into our body. Eating is honestly one of the most vulnerable things that we do. You ever had food poisoning? Or the stomach bug? That's no fun. But yet we, when we eat, we take things from outside our body, foreign objects as it were, and we say, okay, I'm going to put that into my body for the nourishment and the, the goodness that it gives me, right? When you think about it, it's kind of a strange thing to do. But it's essential. But more than just the, the scientific side of things, there's more to eating than that. It, to me, it's kind of like a four-step process. Let me explain this. Number one, there's the anticipation. There's the anticipation of eating, right? Some of you are experiencing that right now. Hurry up, pastor. Dinner's coming. Finish up because we want to eat. There's anticipation. And we do that, right? We ask our wife or our mom, we'll say, oh, what time is dinner? Why? Because I'm a little hungry. And I, there's the anticipation is building for the next time that I get to eat. Don't look at me crazy. You're, you do the same thing. You, you're, but you go to the restaurant, right, and you order your food, 
and the waitress goes away and she places the order and you know they're working on it back there and so you talk to your family and your friends and then after a few minutes passes we all do what we kind of start to look around where'd she go is she oh here she comes she's got a plate of food she's got a tray she's coming this and she goes by you and then your hopes and dreams all crash because you're thinking the anticipation for my food it's gone now but then she comes back again, right? And she's got that tray and you realize it's yours. And we all do this. We all do that little thing where we quickly scurry and kind of create a place, right? And you sit up a little bit and you get your fork and your knife ready. And she, oh, that's mine. That's, that's mine right here. The anticipation. The next time we're going to eat, we, we want that. We love it. Or, or maybe this would connect a little bit better. How about the smell or the sizzle of bacon cooking? Does that fill you with anticipation for what's about to come? And it's almost like you can hear it and you can smell it. It's a sensory experience, right? You can hear it, you can smell it, and it's almost like you can already taste it because of the anticipation of it. Secondly, not just the anticipation, but the taste. Because the act of eating is not just rational, right? Well, I have to eat to live. That's true. But the act of eating should also be emotional. This food is good, right? You put a bite of that into your mouth, and you're like, this is good. There's emotion, there's, there's emotion there. It's something God has given us all things to enjoy, right? And there's something, uh, food is a gift from him, and we enjoy it. The taste is amazing. Pizza is one of God's gifts, right? And he's given us all good things to enjoy. You should enjoy the taste of it. You put a little pineapple on it, a little ham, and a little jalapeno, all right? You got the sweet of the pineapple, you got the, 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 the salty of the ham, and the spicy of the jalapeno. It's like a flavor explosion in your mouth, all right? It should be enjoyed. The taste of food should be enjoyed. So the anticipation, the taste, and then thirdly, the satisfaction of being full. We've all done this, guys, right? We've eaten maybe a little too much, and you do that little thing where you kind of push away from the table a little bit, and you lean back, and you give a little sigh. <sighs> I'm full. And there's a satisfaction there, isn't there, in being full. There's a satisfaction of realizing, hey, I was hungry. Not anymore, though. I will be in a couple hours, probably. But there's a satisfaction in being full. So the anticipation, the taste, the satisfaction of being full, and then fourthly, the long-term benefits of eating is what? The nourishment that it provides. Food is to nourish us. Food is fuel, right? Especially healthy food provides us the nutrients and the, the energy that we need for life. There is an ongoing benefit to eating consistently. You with me? There is ongoing benefit to that. And here's my point. All those things go into eating. And like we get excited about eating physical food, we should also get excited about the food of the Word of God. The Bible calls itself meat. It calls itself milk. It calls itself honey. And all those four things that I just described, the anticipation, the taste, the satisfaction, and the nourishment, all apply to us spiritually as well. Folks, there should be an anticipation for the Word of God. Sunday's coming. I get to hear it taught. I get to hear it preached. I get to be under the power of God's word. Sunday's coming. I want it. 
The next time I get to sit and study God's Word. Mornings, maybe you do it in the morning. Morning's coming. I get to open God's Word and read it for myself. There should be an anticipation for it. It's good for us. There should also be a, a taste to us that's sweet. Do you, do you cherish the taste of the Word of God? You say, what do you mean? Psalm 19.10 says that the Word of God is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. What does that mean for the word to be sweet? The word is sweet to us because it is always exactly what we need. You know when you finish your meal and you, you want something sweet to eat, right? Dessert, kind of been trained to have that dessert, get that cookie, that cake, that pie, that something. Say, I want that sweetness. That's the word of God to us because it's always exactly what we need. <clears throat> Thirdly, the word is satisfying. Now notice, I didn't say easy. I said satisfying. Because sometimes the word is tough when, it, when we are convicted by it. But Jeremiah says it was the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. Even in the tough times, he was satisfied by the word because there was joy and rejoicing there. Is it that to us? And then fourthly, the word nourishes us. Just like we have to eat repeatedly. And there's benefit to consistent nutrition. There is benefit to consistent nutrition in the Word of God as well. How often do we eat? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, a few snacks, little things in between. For some of us, it's not often enough, right? How often do we eat the Word? For all of us, I dare say, not often enough. Not often enough. The key to the Word of God in our lives is consistency. Consistent, not sporadic nourishment. You would never do that with your own physical life and food. I just eat every so very often. Consistent nourishment is a must. So I say to you, eat up. It's good food. Eat up. Earlier this year in our, in our church down in Florida, we had a, an Egyptian couple that started coming uh, to our church, and they invited my wife and I over for, for lunch one day, the, the boys as well. And we, we get into the house there, and she's got a spread of food on the table, like three different entrees, and it was only the five of us, husband and wife, and then they had two kids, so there's nine of us. Spread of food, three different entrees, like three different types of meat, bunch of side dishes, a salad, two different types of dessert, and it was just a pile of food. I don't mind necessarily, but we get in there and she's dipping the plates and she's dipping the boys plates and my plates and she's just heaping it on there. Like good grief. I mean, it was like a mound of food by the time she was done. And we got to talking about the food and through lunch and everything. And they said in the Egyptian culture, food or meals is a huge deal. And when he, he said that the, the man that invited us, he said he went to his, his wife's family's house for the first time, and he said, they wouldn't let me stop eating. It was this, eat, eat. They'd put more food on my plate, eat, eat. And I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't be rude, so I had to eat, 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 eat. And they, you know, it was kind of the same idea when we were with them, and I was kind of like, well, I don't mind if I do, you know. Everything was so, was so wonderful. It was, I had baklava. I didn't even know what baklava is, but it was wonderful, right? And I tell you the same thing as that Egyptian couple told us, eat, eat up, eat up. 
It's the healthiest diet in the world. In the darkest and lowest points of Jeremiah's life, he had the word to rely on. Did you notice that? It was a compelled him to continue. He says, I can't quit. Why? Because of the word. He says, I tried to stop it. Remember, remember in chapter 20, he says, I tried to hold it back. And I realized I couldn't hold it back anymore. The word burst through. It had cost Jeremiah greatly, yet he couldn't stop preaching it. He was called to it, and there was nothing else that he could do. Paul says kind of a similar thing in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's a fire within us that we have to have. The word will always break through. Isaiah 55 tells us that. Verses 10 and 11. It says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word will always break through. There are two words we always use when we talk about staying fit, right, and being healthy. You know what they are? Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Eat right, stay active. And the same is true for our spiritual health. Eat the words of the Lord and stay active living them out. But I want to show you one difference, and this is, this is good. There's one difference between the plan for our physical health and for our spiritual health. For spiritual health. For a healthy spiritual diet, guess what? You can eat as much as you want. You can eat as much as your heart desires. Eat up. Eat the words of the Lord as Jeremiah did. And for him and hopefully for us as well, it will be the joy and the rejoicing of our heart. Would you pray with me?